I said this first service, and I sense it a little bit this service too, that there's a, a, a sense of, of weariness um, in our congregation this morning. Um, uh, maybe a feeling a bit like a wilted flower, and, and, um, and, and yet this, in this service, I, I sense a strength underneath that, underneath that weariness in your singing. And, um, uh, and there's a reason for the weariness, um, that is we had a very big day yesterday, and it's been a huge weekend. Uh, yesterday, we, we, as most of you know, but I realize not everybody who's here now was, was there yesterday, we said a temporary farewell to our founding pastor. I said temporary because it's not going to be that long before um, we're there with him. And um, we were there for hours and here for hours, and here we are again. feel like I'm living at the church this weekend. I told uh, somebody this morning, I, I woke up and I felt like Tim Conway in the old uh, Carol Burnett show. You know, I just barely <laughs> I kind of dated myself there. But um, that there's a, it's actually a kind of a, a good pairing for what I'm about to say. And I didn't realize this first service, but I, I realize it um, now in the second service. Because it's, it's oftentimes when we're the weariest and um, the weakest that God does his best work, Right. Um, I, I have that 2 Corinthians 12, 9 in my head that talks about the power of Christ, you know, being made perfect in our weakness. And so if we're weak this morning and weary, that's okay. Let's just allow God to be powerful in this moment, all right? Let me, let me pray to that end. Um, God, I, I pray for your power this morning to invade this place, invade our weakness, invade our weariness. I pray that there would be a... Um, a, a burning of our hearts, of, of a renewing of passion and affection, both for Christ and also um, just the work that you've called us to that's supposed to be a joyful um, uh, work, a, a work that's a privilege, a work that is a, a grace to be able to participate in and, and cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in our world. So please, in this moment, we ask on the basis of Christ, uh, who makes us worthy of being heard in our prayers. We ask that you would hear our prayer this morning and fill this place with your power in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm speaking for those who were there. And if you weren't there, this doesn't quite work for you, but you can picture it. Uh, one of the things that happens at a, at a, at a memorial, in particular um, yesterday's memorial, as you hear testimony after testimony after testimony of a life that's been faithfully lived um, unto the Lord heart of humility, love, and perseverance, you can't help but self-reflect, um, can't help but ask yourself the question, like, what are they going to say about me? What am I doing with my life? Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, some of the things that I heard and read and how I felt is that bar was set pretty high um, by our founding pastor. And that's, that's a good thing. Um, but I wanted to tell you that um, I wanted to add to that this morning because as years ago, I don't know exactly when it was, um, John and I sat down and, and I said, do you ever want to preach a message again? And he said, yeah, I have one more. Um, and I said, well, what would you want to preach? And uh, he said to me, he says, I, I want to preach a message on the fact that you don't retire from serving Christ. So what he wanted to preach, that was his, his final message. And along the way, I'd, I'd ask him, do you ever want to preach that? And he's never ready. And he, um, he didn't preach it. So, I want to give it a shot. It's, it seems a fitting, following his memorial, it seems fitting for this weekend that I give it a shot. 
like I said, I don't want to re- rehash what was said yesterday, but some of you weren't there. You know, our, um, he retired in 2001 from vocational ministry, but he didn't retire. Uh, he's been a small group leader, he and Sharon, up until I think last fall. Um, he has continued to counsel. Uh, he has continued to set on our elder board and shepherd people um, up until just a few months ago when he couldn't do it anymore. That is, he embodied a life that never retired from serving Christ. So he, he, he is the message. And um, so let me, let me draw your attention to a text that I hope will challenge everyone in here. Okay? It's the text that was just read. Um, for 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Some of those verses in there are well known to you. Um, you have a kind of a, a handoff between the aging, uh, not just aging, but about to die, Apostle Paul, um, handing the baton to his young apprentice, Timothy. Um, these are kind of his last exhortations to him. Um, the one generation who's passing the finish line um, to his... Uh, his, his, his son in the faith. And um, I, want, I want us to hear his words. And there is in these verses, eight verses, there is this, um, there's this charge that he gives. And I think it's, it's a charge to all of us, uh, properly understood. Um, there is also uh, an example, uh, a vivid example of what it looks like. And then there is a, an incentive that he gives for us to not uh, retire in service to Christ. The first part is this charge that we just read, charge to Timothy. And it is, it is a powerful and a solemn charge. How he starts off is, I charge you, and not by the name of Paul or Peter, but I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who has judged the living and the dead. In other words, in the name of and in the presence of the one who's going to judge you someday, um, to preach the word that as you continue what, what was started in you. That's what he says. You're stu- supposed to skip down to verse 5. You're supposed to do it with a, a sober mind. That is, keep your head on your shoulders. Endure suffering because it's going to be hard. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. In other words, end how I end it. Fill it up. Go all the way. That's, that, that, that's his charge. And I love just the, the height, the intensity of the charge when he says, in the presence of God and Christ. That's, that's solemn. It's, and we're supposed to see it that way. This is a big deal. I, I, what comes to my, my head, and, and, and this is far bigger than what comes to my head, but what comes to my head is, is watching a commissioning ceremony. And some of you have seen those when a, when a person, a candidate, is commissioned into the United States military. And they have to say an oath a solemn oath, I solemnly swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And what they're doing is they're swearing away their life to service to our country. A, a swearing away of life that is not just uh, 24-7. It's not a swearing away of life. Or the swearing away of life is not simply between 9 and 5. Right? It's because you can't. You can't serve a country like that, right? It's like the, the, the enemy is coming and you realize it's raining outside. You get out of your sleeping bag and go up. I don't think so today. I think I'm just going to stay in my, my comfortable bed. No, that doesn't work. That's why they talk about signing your life away or I swore my life away. And I know we're not accustomed to thinking of our Christian faith that way, but it is precisely the same. In the sense that, listen, 
Christ purchased us. That's what redemption means, right? He purchased us. He paid in cold, hard blood for the entirety of who we are. He bought us, which means we're his. And he commissioned us into his service to do what he did, out of what he did. In that sense, this charge is ours. Now, I know what you're going to say. This, this is a charge to, to Timothy to preach the word. And we know from other texts of scripture that not everybody here is called to preach the word or teach or be a leader. Um, in that sense, the specific application, of course, is to pastors and to elders. It's like you, you stay the course with the word and the gospel and Christ at the center and don't, um, don't allow anything to, to cause a church to deviate or, or, or in, in, engage in, in, in bad teaching that's going to lead them in the wrong direction. You stay the course. Now, that's, that's, the, that's the specific application. But we also know from other texts of Scripture that everyone who is a believer in here, has been strategically designed and gifted and placed to fulfill a ministry that God has called you to. Every single person who has the Spirit of God in you, you have been strategically designed, gifted, and placed to play a part. Now imagine hearing Paul's charge to you to fulfill the ministry that you have been strategically designed, gifted, and placed to do. I charge you. In the presence of God in Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill what God has called you to do. That's, that's a charge. That's a charge that has been, I think, by way of general application, been given to us. All of us are called to love. All of us are called to serve. All of us are called to seek first the kingdom of God, not our own. Right? That's, that's the charge part. That's a powerful charge. It's a powerful charge to me. Then Paul gives his, an example of what that looks like, a vivid example, his, his own life. You know these verses, many of you do. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, as his life is, 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 is about to end. But, and it's interesting, he sees his life work as worship. Because that's what it is, it's being poured out by God as, as something that's an offering to him. Like, like he wants to do this. It's similar to what he says in Romans 12 when he talks about offering your body as a living sacrifice. All of you, that's his life work. He says, and the time for my departure has come, that is, I'm about to die. Probably life is about to end by sword, execution, martyrdom. Verse 7, he says, this is his own self-reflection on his own journey. I have fought the good fight. I have finished. He knows he's at the finish line. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So he's already at the finish line. And he's, 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 he's served and he's ministered all the way to the end. That's, that's his example. And mind you, when, when he's writing this, he's in prison, right? He's in prison. And scholars guesstimate that Paul was probably somewhere between 60 and 70 years old. So he was an, I don't know if you'd call that elderly, but he was an aged man. And from what we know about his story, he'd been stoned and flogged on a number of occasions, shipwrecked. His body had to be just broken down and a mess. Probably didn't sleep too well. Back probably hurt. Joints hurt. Because that's, that's his, his life was, was expended in 
service to Christ. And even here, right at the edge of the finish line, he's still writing, writing letters. It's all he, all he can do, given the limitations of prison and his physical body. All, but he's still doing it. He's still serving in whatever level he can. That's his example. Fight. I fought. And Christian life is a fight. And if it doesn't feel like a fight, you're probably not in a fight. It is a race. And if it doesn't feel like a race and it doesn't feel like you're running and expending energy, then you're not in the race. And you know, part of this understanding how this works is to understand how God has, has renewed our hearts. Um, Christianity is a, is a, is a heart, out-of-the-heart religion. I don't even like the word religion, but just, just borrow it for a while. James 1 uses it, so I'm going to use it. Um, Christian religion is a heart religion, that, that, that our actions come from the heart. And that's the only legitimate, true, obedient action is action that comes from the heart. And when, when, when God came into your life, uh, when he gave you a new heart, when he reoriented your desires, he, he recreated you and wired you to do things differently than you did them before. Um, before... Christ came in and reoriented the heart. Our heart was fundamentally self-serving. But when he rewired it and made our heart like his heart, he made our hearts inclined to be others serving. That is, um, the new heart, listen to this. I'm trying to seat this in proper theology. Um, the, the, the true heart, if you're a believer and the spirit is in your life, there is a hunger, a, a desire, and a drive to serve, there's a, and the reason I say that is because serving is a form of loving. And God is love, and when he comes into the Christian heart and reorients it, he, 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 he gives birth to a heart that now wants to love by serving. In other words, that's, that's what, that's, that's in there. It desires to fulfill that. That's the new heart. We were created, recreated in Christ Jesus to do that. There's a part of you that wants to do that. And if there's no part in you that doesn't want to serve or doesn't want to love other people, then the heart probably is not new. And you're still living the old way. It's like, I think of it this way. Birds were meant to fly and fish were meant to swim and Christians were by nature made to love and to serve. And where we repress that or get lazy about that, then we will find ourselves unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and frustrated and depressed. Because we weren't made that way. We weren't remade that way. But we find our truest self, we find our truest satisfaction when we're doing what we were made to do. And that is, we fight the fight, and we run the race, and we serve the cause of Christ with every dying breath. Now it's in there. And Passages like this and the charge that he gives to Timothy are ways of, of if you will, um, kind of a, a arousing that desire in the Christian heart to say, run and fight and don't stop until you're taking your last breath. The question is, how, how, does, how does this relate to you when you find yourself getting old and weak? And I remember when I was talking about John, talking to John about this particular message, I know he had in his mind people who, you know, after they turn 65, kind of have the let's coast to the, to the finish line uh, mentality, which, which is a cultural influence, not a biblical one. Um, 
But really, when you think about it, this applies all the way across the board because you have young and aged who coast. So what I'm about to say, of course, applies to everybody. Um, but it does, does beg the question, what about, what about when you're, you, know, you find yourself not, you're, you're not as sharp as you used to be, right? Starting to forget things. John forgot things. He called me Mike for the first 10 years I was here. <laughs> forgot people's names. You know, at, at some point, you know, you're not going to be able to do manual labor. You may not be able to go and paint a house. You may not be able to go and lay tile at the Hanson house. You just, you know physically you can't do that anymore because the whole process of aging has limited you. So how, how, do, you, how do you serve then? How do you, how do you continue to finish strong given the limitations of aging? And um, here I, I want to defer to someone who's a lot older than I am. Uh, most of you know the name J.I. Packer, right? J.I. Packer, uh, probably the most well-known book he read, uh, wrote was Knowing God. I read it when I was 22, and it changed my life. Uh, I think it was Crossway Books that said that he was probably amongst the top theologians of the 20th century. He spoke. He wrote scads of books. He, he went all over the world. He um, ministered, you know. Well, he's, he's turning 90 this, this summer, 90 this summer, and one of the things that, that um, he was able to do is, is write a kind of a final book. And I say final book because um, he has macular degeneration. He has already gone blind in one eye, and now he's blind in the other eye, right? So here's this um, man of faith who's lived nine decades, who's now lost his sight. But before he lost his sight fully, he wrote this book. It's a little book, and I highly commend. Well, I think it's good for everybody, but it's especially good for those who find themselves on the other side of 60. Called Finishing Our Course with Joy. And he wrote it when he was 88 years old. I think he was 88, 89. And um, it's, it's worthy of, of listening to him speak because um, as... John Hansen wanted preached, so he writes. And listen, or look at what he writes. He writes, the biblical expectation and indeed promise of ripeness, that's ripeness in a good way, right? Not a bad way, but like rich and wonderful and beautiful, of, of ripeness growing and serving uh, service of others, continuing as we age with God, is, is, is the substance of the last lap image of our closing years, in which we finish our course. Runners in a distance race, like jockeys in a horse race, always try to keep something in reserve for the final sprint. And my contention, this is his contention at 88 years of old age, is going to be that so far as our bodily health allows, we should aim to be found running the last lap of the race of our Christian life as we would say, flat out. That's good. Flat out, like you give it everything you've got. The final sprint, so I urge, should be a sprint indeed. Live each day as if thy last is the wise word from a hymn writer or hymn written in 1674. I love that. My contention, my contention is going to be that in that last lap, we run as we should, as we say, flat out. That's good. That's just, Right? It's good. It's just flat out. It's just, you know, it's, you, everybody's had to have run a race at some point if you're a little kid, right? I, 
I told my daughter that I would run the SoFit with her a couple years ago. We did the 5K down here in, um, in Fairfield. And we were running along, and I, and I thought she could run faster. So I'm like, sweetheart, you want to run faster? Look, your friend just passed you up. You're going to let that happen? You know? <laughs> She's like, no, I can't run any faster. And, um, and so, I'm, you know, we're coming around the final bend. And I'm thinking, she, she was, she couldn't run any faster, right? And, I, and getting up to that final turn, you know, I'm like, are you going to sprint to the end? And, and she's like, no, I don't have any energy. And as soon as we around the corner, seriously, fire was coming out of her feet. And I'm, listen, I was like, my daughter's not going to beat me. And I could not catch her. <laughs> I could not touch her. She beat me, and Deanna likes to make fun of me for that. But <laughs> it's like, that's just a picture. It's like, listen, you don't want to go out coasting. That's what he's saying. Don't go out coasting. Go out sprinting. Don't go out coasting. Out sprinting. And that's, that's not coming from a... 48-year-old, that's coming from a 90-year-old, all right? Now, so what does it look like, though? I mean, come on, we don't have the physical, if you're aging, don't have the same physical strength you once had, don't have the same mental sharpness you once had. How, how do you contribute? And I, I don't think this is an overstatement, but you can judge my words. I think some of the best, richest service to Christ and to the church uh, is to be found in those who are aging. And I don't just mean because you have more time. What I mean by that is that you have lived life. No amount of book reading can replace hardened experience. You've been married. You've gone through child raising. You've made mistakes, you've failed, you've succeeded, you've endured. And then there's the, the rest of the, you know, you know, the young and the ignorant and the proud, right? Who think they have the world by the tail and, and yet don't know how to be married and don't know how to parent. And, and, and it's a wonder why everything's all screwed up. Because, and this is one of the great fractures in the church, is there is this segregation between the aging and the arrogant ignorance of the younger. And, uh, and that, 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 that what the Bible would call wisdom is, is there. And, it's, and yet it's, it's, it's not being shared. And that's a big part of the service. It's not, it's not going to be um, physical activity necessarily, but your willingness to share your life, share your experience, and share your failures as well as your successes. And that means on two levels that the, the, the younger ones, and I'm weird, I'm, I'm not, I, I used to be the younger one, now I'm in between. That's a weird place to be too, but still in need of wisdom, is for the younger people to recognize, listen, I really need help, and to have people that you can go to who have lived marriage and parenting and life, and to be able to say, listen, I'm having a really hard time. Like, I want to walk out the door, that's what I want to do, and to have someone say, listen, I've been there. Don't panic. It's nothing new. Here's how I dealt with it when it happened to me. And that is, that is huge service. See? You didn't have to run a, a marathon to do that. You didn't have to build a wall. All you had to do was share your life with somebody. But it also means, I think, I said this in first service, you know, if you're one of the ones who's, I'm just going to say, aging, wise, and ripe in the good sense. 
you got to be a little more bossy with us. I mean it. It's like you see something, you have the wisdom, have the courage to speak into someone's life in a loving, respectful way. We have to pray for and, and make effort to break that segregation so that those who are on the other side aren't coasting. They're still, they're sprinting, but in a different way by investing in what God has done in their life to the younger generation. That's just one example of how that would work out. And deferring once again to a man who's much older than I, this is the way he said it. He says, the Bible's view, again, Packer, finishing our course with joy. You can read it in two hours. Um, The Bible's view is that aging, which our culture says is bad, which is why nobody wants to call themselves old, which in other cultures it's precisely the opposite, Um, under God and by grace will bring wisdom. Aging is a good process in the sense of the wisdom that is an enlarged capacity for discerning, choosing, and encouraging. And that is something we have right here. So there's the, Paul's own example and uh, reaffirmed by, by J.I. Packer in his twilight um, years. And then finally, the incentive that he gives here, um, you know, why, why not coast, right? And that's, that is the cultural influence. Listen, you deserve it. You worked all this time. And I'm not talking about your vocational career. Hopefully you do retire and you're able to live. But, but that's not an excuse to retire from serving, um, but our culture says, you know, coast, it's time to relax. Which, interestingly enough, he, he, Packer goes on to say, suggests that um, if you take that attitude and as a Christian you start to relax and stop serving, things in you are going to start to die. And you're going to start to feel um, a devaluation, both of yourself and by other people. And that's not a psychologically healthy thing. It's actually psychologically healthy for you to think flat out. Right? I am, I am not, I, I am going to capitalize on what it means to age, and I'm going to give what God has given to me to others. That is a healthy thing. But the incentive that Paul gives, holds out, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, there's that word again, at some point there is going to be an adjudication of life, how well we did. Um, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. There's times when, you know, the motivation comes from the past. I mean, Paul could write, and I've already cited it, but I didn't cite verse 1, Romans 12, 1, when he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, he's looking past and saying, look what God did for us. Look what Christ did for us. He freed us. He died for us. We're forgiven and accepted. Um, We have the spirit of God in us as a result of that. And that should be motivating to us is what God has done in the past. But, But here he switches, as the Bible does, to the future. Like, there, there's something to be had on the other side of the finish line. There's, there's, there's a reward of sorts. There's a commendation of sorts. Now, whatever that is, it is going to be fully and completely and overwhelmingly satisfying to the new heart. It consists in the presence of God, the fullness of the presence of God amidst his people in a new creation. That's the way of summing it up. But somehow... There's an expansion of it if we fight the good fight 
and we run the race. That is, there, there, there's, a, there's a gold medal at the other end. Whatever that gold medal is, an expansion of life and joy and a capacity for joy or whatever that is, it's, 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 it's there. And that's what you're supposed to, like, I, I want that. And again, I think the new heart does long for it. Um, and at the center of it, of course, is that he's the love his appearing. Is you want him and you want him to look at you and say, well, you just want him to look at you and smile and say, way to run, right? Way to fight. Even though it's my grace doing it in you, you know, way to fight, way to run, enter into my rest. That's, that's part of the, the joy and the reward and the incentive. Is, there's a finish line out there, and it's not 65. It's on the other side of your death. That's the finish line. Or... Here, it's the second coming of Christ. Again, one final um, deference to uh, J.I. Packer, who writes about this. He says, as seniors, power, seniors, people, powers of body, memory, and creativity grow less, so their conscious focus on their hope, that is future, hope of glory should grow sharper and their meditations on it grow more joyful and sustained as this happens. That is, as you focus on what's across the finish line, as this happens, passion to continue being of use to God and his people in holiness, love, and what Scripture conceives as neighborliness should and will intensify to the end. That's the purifying effect of a constant hope on what's across the finish line. Is it actually... um, it makes you more loving, more neighborly, and, and more passionate about serving. I've, 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 I've seen it at work. I've seen a lady in her 60s who was afraid to let people come into her house because she didn't want her carpets messed up. Christian lady. So you could kind of come, but you have to take off your shoes. And, and, and nothing wrong with taking off your shoes. But, but it was, she was super cranky about everything. And then I saw her in her 90s. And she really didn't care. She'd rather have people in her house than clean carpets. And I thought, man, that is, that's exactly what he's talking about. It's like as there's a focus on the hope and what really matters in life, all this stuff kind of just, it isn't that important anymore. And then you become more loving and more neighborly and willing to serve. And that's what he's saying. That's, that's what he's saying. That's, the, that's part of our incentive is, is this, this hope. So I... I uh, I want you to think about how, how you're doing in this final lap. Maybe you have 10 laps left. Maybe you're in the last two. Maybe you're in the last one. This weekend is a kind of a good time to reassess and say, Where, how, how am I doing? You know? And, and if you find yourself um, struggling with laziness or apathy or distraction or you're busy doing the wrong things, or you allow weariness, like this morning, to keep you from being faithful to serve, then we have to offer that up to the Lord by way of confession and repentance. This isn't where we should be. He made us to run. He made us to fight. He made us to serve. He made us to love. And as we do, we feel his life in us. Because that's exactly what Jesus did, right? 
the author and perfecter of our faith, or one translation says the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That was his finish line, the cross. There was a joy on the other side, and he was perfect. He didn't give out, didn't give in, didn't matter how he felt. He continued to be faithful and won for us our salvation. And as we live that way, up to our dying, I mean, at the dying breath on the cross, right? He's taking care of the criminal on the cross, and he's taking care of his mom down at the foot of the cross. He's still caring, even with his dying breath. That is our example, and as we live that way, we show people Christ, right? So, not coasting, sprinting. Not coasting, sprinting at the end. And I pray that God would light and renew and quicken a renewed fire for serving our king up to the very end. And I'd like to ask you as we prepare for the table, which we're going to take in a moment, and don't tune me out here, I would just like to ask you before you come, will you pray for our church? You can pray for your own heart, but pray for our church. Pray that um, God would waken the dead. Pray that he would quicken those who are already alive. And pray that he would grant us courage and strength to be his people in this time and to be passionate about his glory. Do that before we come to the table. Just pray for our church. If you're new with us, just to give you instruction, I'm going to pray in a moment. And I will have um, three servers come, deacons, elders come up. And we have both gluten and gluten-free bread. And uh, if I could ask you... Our deacons elders wash their hands between the time that they shake hands and they, they do this. And in an effort to keep things um, sanitary, if you could just open your hand and we'll put it in your hand. Or I notice the people who uh, grow up, you know, in Catholic tradition because they do this, which is really cool, I think. But um, you don't have to do that. Just if you would do that, that would, that would help with the cleanliness and so forth. So if you're a follower of Christ after I pray, I just encourage you um, after a time of prayer and, and um confession, uh, come forward and, and take his body and his, his blood as a reminder of the one who endured the cross for us. Gracious Father, I thank you for this moment. I, I pray that the, the legacy of, of our founding pastor would um, spur us on to greater love and greater good works. Um, I pray that um, greater things would be done for your name's sake as a result of your people here. I, I pray that whatever word was spoken this morning um, would not um, fall on deaf ears or, or would not be forgotten even in the next hour or two hours. And Lord, show us in these months ahead how we can collectively together sprint or move and run and fight together this fight of faith. Minister to us now through the bread, through the cup, and um, bless us as we worship your holy name. In Christ's name, amen.